It's Monday, August 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, hey. We're just winding down the summer, aren't we? Yeah. It's getting darker <laughs> early. No, it's not, not really. Not I mean, really. it is. I guess. I guess technically like, speaking, it is. But minute I was, by minute, I was out walking the dogs last night at like eight o'clock. It was still uh, still light out there. Yeah, get back to me in October <laughs> when, it's, <laughs> yeah. when it's actually. Yeah, when we're dark, driving but, home. Well, and that's when the clock helps you out. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're gonna dip into the full mail bag. We're gonna talk flying drones because the FAA has come out with the first significant batch of flying drone rules, and we'll see who's who's happy and who's not. Uh, let's start, however, with Herbalife. And this was a story that we talked about on Motley Fool Money on Friday because the Wall Street Journal had a story uh, that uh, said that Carl Icahn, noted Herbalife bull, was looking to unload his shares to a group that included Bill Ackman, <laughs> who has just taken a bath on Herbalife. And Bill Ackman decided to go on CNBC Friday morning and poke the bear. Like he goes on live TV and says, "Yep, um, this happened, and Icon's doing this because, and I'm quoting here, he knows this is toast." And as we talked about, Jason on Motley Fool Money, shares of Herbalife were down on Friday, and then late in the day comes the news: Carl Icon bought 2.3 million shares of Herbalife to add to his collection. Where was he to call in that morning and have another <laughs> sparring match on the show? You know what? His PR person is fired for not recognizing this opportunity. I bet he, he maybe thought about that, but <laughs> thought, you know what would be a better way to get back at Bill Ackman? Is to let him drive down the price so I can buy 2.3 million shares at a cheaper price. And just took the proverbial glove and just, right? Yeah. Just whapped him in the face a couple of times. Um. Yeah, that was that was really funny. I thought. Uh, I, I think the bottom line takeaway for all of this for investors is when it comes to Herbalife. I mean, this this thing is totally unownable. Like you, you cannot as an investor want to to invest in this business because of this little battle that's going on right here. I mean, it seems death and taxes move over because there's another certainty, <laughs> and that's that's Herbalife being batted around like a little shuttlecock just between Icon and uh, and, and Ackman, and, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it on on just the fundamentals of the business alone, I mean, Herbalife doesn't really look like it's all that compelling of an investment idea. I mean, the top line growth isn't really there. Uh, margins are are getting squeezed. It seems like it's a pretty polarizing name, where there are a lot of questions out there in regard to whether they're adhering to SEC guidelines, the fundamentals of the business uh, model itself. So, I mean, this is all just. Purely emotional, and and I think that seems to be the big lesson for investors to take away from this. I mean, don't don't. I wouldn't look at Herbalife as any kind of an opportunity. I just don't think there's any reason to do that because you can't really tell who's right and who's wrong. I mean, it, it seems like Ackman's been wrong to this point, but um, I mean, I think that there is a very valuable lesson in um, a couple of a couple of valuable lessons. Number one, your emotions can can really warp. Your perspective as an investor, and that's why you we always we always preach don't don't be emotional. Uh, the stock doesn't care if you own it, and uh, doesn't care if you sell it. <laughs> but um, I think also, you know, when you when you look at shorting a stock, I mean, it, shorting is a difficult thing to do because you can be totally right in theory and still just get waxed, and and there's nothing you can really do about it. 
Um, and so, I mean, I think shorting is one of those things that I, I don't personally do it. I just am not really. It's just it's more work than I've got time for. But I think if you're gonna do it, you, you better you better be you right. Better be damn sure you know <laughs> what's going on. And, and and to me, I think the argument can at least be made that Ackman to this point doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, and and to that point, Taylor. I'm, in the long run, we could, you know, two, three years from now, we could look back and say, oh, Bill Ackman was right. Yeah. He was right. It's just that his timing was terrible. It might take a market crash for him to be right. right. <laughs> and especially now that I, uh, Carl Icahn says he has almost 21% of the shares and yeah. permission to buy up to 35% of outstanding shares. So he's got a lot of room to, to add to his holdings. I, I just wonder how many shares Ackman is short. I, don't, I couldn't find the exact percentage, but it's got to be. No small amount. Well, and and to broaden this beyond Herbalife, um, this is this is a reminder for me that when it comes to the companies that I'm looking to become a part owner of, uh, drama is nowhere on the list of reasons. You know, I just I, I I'm not looking for drama. I'm not looking for distractions. And you can get excited when a Carl Icahn comes in and buys some shares of whatever company. You know, uh, you happen to own shares of. You know that can be great, and that can be a short-term pop for whatever stock you own. But it also, it also can be a distraction for management. It can be, I don't know. This is, I mean, this is on the list of reasons why I wouldn't want to own Herbalife because it's just like, oh, you know what? It it must be a nightmare for the management just to deal with these, you know, with all of these questions. Sure, I think we talk about all the time when you find management teams that. Don't really take the bait and sort of jump into that um, that headline game of trying to manage the stock price. They just want management teams that are going to tell you what they're going to do, and then they just go do it. And and I think in most cases, when you find these management teams, they're going to know the business better than any of us uh, may 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 lead on to. And and I think um, I think with Herbalife, I mean, it it definitely sort of shows the weaknesses in today's. Headline-driven market, right? I think the headlines. I think like things like Twitter. I mean, all of this stuff gets out there immediately, and it moves this. It moves the stock prices immediately. And so I think there was there was a time ago um, where investing, finding finding sorts of those those sorts of opportunities. I think it was a bit easier because information didn't travel as quickly. Um, and so if you're Warren Buffett, for example, you can go. Put your put your face in the books and just find sort of mispriced opportunities out there. It was just a matter of figuring out where the information was and then and then diving into it. Now, I mean, information it's at the click of a button, uh, but even more so, it's not always necessarily correct, right? I mean, there's plenty of misinformation uh, that gets thrown about in a, in a very quick fashion here. So it's very important, I think, for investors whether whether you are a short seller or or a long investor. I mean, whether you're Ackman. Or icon here, don't look at one or the other's position as sort of justifying what you believe or want to do as an investor yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's very easy just to kind of go through all of the information and come to your own conclusions. And you're not always going to be right, but but I think typically speaking, I mean, looking for just fundamentally good businesses with good management teams and good sort of competitive positions in their markets, those are pretty easy to find. And then really. Our biggest edge is just taking the longer timeline. I mean, if you can do that, uh, then you can wait out all of this kind of noise here and, and just uh, sit back and sort of enjoy the ride. 
Mylan is back in the news. This is the company behind the EpiPen that was making all the headlines last week because people figured out that the cost of an EpiPen had gone from $100 to more than $600 in less than a decade. And over that time, CEO Heather Brush's compensation had gone from about $2.5 million to about $18.5 million. And Mylan out this morning with the news that they're coming out with a generic version of the EpiPen. They're going to sell it for $300, so less than half the list price for an EpiPen. They're competing with themselves. They're competing with themselves. And it was just like, on the one hand, I look at this and say, you know what? This This is a smart move for them. This is primarily a generic drug company, so the fact that They've got a branded uh, uh, procedure with the EpiPen because it's the delivery device uh, that that they hold the patent on. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I just when I saw that this morning, I thought, "Huh, I've been working on this for a couple of years. Have you over at Myland, <laughs> or or this just happened to be in the wake of of everything that we saw last yeah. week?" There's nothing different about it. They just decided, "Hey, we'll just." Brand it differently and, and yeah. sell the same exact product for three hundred dollars less. Well, and which this, is still three x over what it was when they acquired it in two thousand seven. And this, but this gets at some of the one of the things we talked about last week, where it's like, look, you got a bunch of clouds over this company now. One has to do with uh, the management's compensation. One has to do with the prospect of public hearings on Capitol Hill, which which may still come. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, one that we sort of hinted at was, what's the path forward for this company? The, the EpiPen makes up 40% of their operating profit. If they start slashing prices on it, then that kind of... It doesn't kill the bull thesis for this company, but it certainly puts a dent in it. Yeah, I think it puts a big dent in it. And I think, ultimately, what they're doing... Um, here is getting out in front of the problem, right? I mean, this, I think these types of companies are basically just ticking time bombs in that they have this protected piece of property and it will last as long as it's going to last. And then they know that at some point that protection will expire and then they have to figure out some way uh, to, to move forward from there. And so it's why you see a lot of these businesses that are always trying to acquire these assets. Um, because you have this sort of this 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 protection on on the property that they're buying or developing, and so with the EpiPen, I mean, and again, going back to the way information travels, and I think that was certainly um, something that helped the cause here, and that uh, it enabled people to kind of get out there and say, "Hey, what in the world is going on here? Why is this thing so expensive now?" Um, so Mylan probably looks at this and says, "Okay, well, this was something that was going to happen anyway." And we were kind of hoping that it wouldn't make such a big headline. It has, but hey, let's go ahead and jump out in front of this. Let's develop the generic product. No, it's not going to be as profitable, but by the same token, it's still going to be profitable. And if they can get out there and present a decent generic option, which they obviously can because they have a very good branded option, uh, then it's going to be more or less business as usual. They're still going to more or less own that market because it's not about the drug. It's about it's about the delivery. And and so then it goes back to sort of that old question of why isn't there more competition out there in regard to this particular product? And and you could expand it to virtually anything in in the drug related world. Um, I mean that in its simplest terms, I mean it just boils down to the lack of competition. There really is only this one option out there. It seems like regulatory. Um, 
the regulatory landscape should should be adjusted in some capacity to help promote more competition work when it comes to stuff like this. But again, I mean, I look at I look at businesses like like Mylan, for example, and think, you know, for something that should seemingly be so simple, you're just selling a product to an individual, and Starbucks does it every day, right? It's just it's easy to understand. But with Mylan, because they're in the middle of this this Healthcare system, and and I think our healthcare system is about as as easy to understand as our tax code. It is to the point where you just it's ununderstandable, it's incomprehensible, and that plays into companies like like these because they're in the middle of negotiating with insurers and pharmacy benefit managers and, and whatnot. Uh, there are a lot of hands in the cookie jar. It's an extremely inefficient process, and I think the wrong players get rewarded. And I think this has been a great example of that. Um, so for them, I think it was just more or less getting out ahead of something that was going to happen anyway, and this will probably enable them to be able to hang on to market share regarding this particular product for a long time to come. Well, that's what they were blaming it on was high health deductible sure. um, insurers for passing these costs on. Well, duh, of course they're going to have a higher <laughs> deductible if these prices of the drugs that they're insuring are rising by six hundred percent in less than a decade. Um, and at one point there was competition for this drug, but. Um, or the delivery system, because um, the drug is easy to produce, but the delivery system, I think, is where the competition has kind of faltered. And so they pulled, uh, I can't remember the company's name, but they pulled it off the shelves. And then Teva, they had uh, a competitive product that didn't get approved by the FDA very recently. So yeah, it was a market, couple years ago, and it, yeah. and it looked like it was going to get approved. I haven't, yeah. I haven't dug into why it got nixed at the last minute. Yeah, I mean, but. either. But um, so removing competition from the regulatory side and then. Another company couldn't quite produce uh, the product to to the same degree that obviously Mylon was able to, and and they came under fire I think earlier this year by a Wells Fargo analyst, quoting seven products that they've raised the price at least 100% by just from January to June of this year, and then 24 products that they raised the price by at least 25% in just the first few months of this year. Mylon obviously came out and said that's a little bit misleading because of some of our smaller sellers, so it's not representative of our product suite of over a thousand drugs. But this isn't the only drug that they've been raising prices on pretty significantly in in the very recent and long term long term past. Yeah, I don't think you can jump in here and just say like this. Mylan is just at fault, or they're to blame, and this, these guys are just evil. Yeah. I mean, don't turn them into like big tobacco. I mean, they're not selling products that kill, right? They're selling products that save. And let's not begrudge the fact that they're selling things and, and need to make a, you know, they have a mandate to to, to make money and, and serve their shareholders and whatnot. But I think, um, I mean, to me, this is just indicative of a, a bigger problem in our healthcare system. And it's really funny to see how, like, over time, um, you think about as we've grown up. 40 plus years here, and it seems like as technology has advanced, there's so many things in life where technology has brought costs down. It, it's made our lives as consumers uh, immensely better through the years, right? And, and, and healthcare is one of those markets where actually spending, middle class spending, on healthcare is up. I mean, it's up 25% since uh, since 2007. I mean, so your basic middle class family, where they're saving more on things like clothing and food and, and even entertainment, whatever that may be, we're having to spend more and more and more on healthcare every year, and and it's really difficult position to be in because you feel like the 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 ultra rich, well, they don't really care. They got all the money in the world. They can afford healthcare. Uh, the the ultra poor, well, we obviously have uh, state sponsored federal programs that that can help. Uh, people who aren't necessarily as well off as as, as uh, 
or basic middle classes, but the middle class ends up getting really squeezed here, and the numbers don't lie. And so, in an age where you feel like the costs here should be coming down, they're actually doing the opposite. And it's not it's not Myland's fault necessarily. Yes, they're a part of the problem. They're they're a part of a bigger problem in sort of this confusing network of players in this healthcare system today. I mean, it's not a problem that's easily solved. But I also want to make sure that when we we talk about these kinds of things, let's not just like target one individual profit-making company, begrudge them for doing their job, right? I mean, it's it's not they're just working with an incentive program that that they've been given. No, I mean and we talked on Mollyfill Money about like hey, we like companies that have pricing power. Sure. I think I think there are a couple of things that that are different about this. One is it involves kids. Yes. You know, yeah. this, you know, never underestimate the power of children and you know, the numbers are anywhere from 5 to 10 million. So this isn't some niche Affliction or disease or anything like that. Um, but the other, and this was this is a comment um, Bill George, a former longtime CEO at Medtronic, made last week about Myland, where he he basically said they overplayed their hand. It's like, yeah, of course you can charge <laughs> yeah. more, but like, my God, I mean, show I, a little restraint. I like, would say yeah, this was at some point. Doing. At some point, you're going to call you're going to call attention to the, yourselves, and, and that's what happened. And that's exactly it. Had they just had they kept it around like four hundred bucks or something, it, probably everybody's okay, and they could have just milked this thing for all it was worth. But yeah, they I, I think it's very very uh, obviously did get a little bit greedy there to a point, and I think uh, that's that's the human factor, right? We're we're flawed from the get go, and. Here's another shining example. And this isn't something that you take every day. This is like a something that you need in an emergency situation. Right. So a lot yeah. of this probably just goes to waste as the expiration date comes up. And and so and it's totally different from a lot of drugs where yeah. you're not using it every single day. You're paying for precautionary measures. Sure. It's a lifesaver. I it mean, is, you gotta yeah. have it. Mm-hmm. You think about schools. Schools yeah. have to have these things. And I mean, like it or not, there are kids out there who are allergic to peanuts or bee stings and and that's just a reality of life. So it seems for something that is so important and can have such a profound effect, uh, we would be able to figure out a way to distribute it a little bit more effectively. And mm. perhaps this is the catalyst to really help that uh, help that happen. One can only hope. Let's move on to flying drones because the Federal Aviation Administration came out with the new rules for commercial flying drones. And uh, I, I'll be honest. I got really excited for the prospect of just huge sweeping change with flying drones. Just like, oh, we're gonna like anyone can have one. <laughs> and then, and then after I got over my initial disappointment that that was not the case, I started to think, you know what? This is this is pretty measured. This is pretty reasonable. Um, you have to keep your flying drone within sight. Um, anyone who's thinking, how close is Amazon now to delivering stuff by flying drone? <laughs> Not close at all. No, I mean, closer. Maybe. Maybe, but this is, um, you know, you have to keep it within sight. Um, He's like all excited here, and then you see all of these rules and everything. It's like when you see that you know that, that new drug they developed, and then you have to go through all the warnings at the end of the commercial. You're like, right. well, I don't want to take that. Yeah, exactly. What? May cause hair loss and. <laughs> I mean blindness. I mean, no, it's yeah. not worth it, right? Um, so, who's going to benefit from this? Um, real estate, construction, aerial photography. Um, it's it's hard to see this having a big impact on on any public companies just yet. But um, but it seems like a good first step. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you guys were expecting in, in terms of a timeline. This this was um, this was relatively speedy work, considering we're talking about the federal government. Yeah, I agree. It's not. Crazy change, but it is some change a little bit. But like you said, not really impacting companies yet. 
because you can't fly it over people that aren't participating in the flight of the drone. It can only go 400 feet in the air. It can't weigh, combined with it and its payload, more than 55 pounds. So it's still pretty limited, but that's enough to carry a camera um, as far as the eye can see. I know some oil and gas companies are using it to inspect pipelines, um, probably doing a little bit with it offshore. And then agriculture, you can expect your farmland, things like that. So there are some benefits to it immediately, but not cons- not for the consumer. Yeah. Unless, you, unless you invest in a company that might profit from this, um, like GoPro's trying to come out with their own drone with cameras installed. Um, Aero Environment has a small consumer section, but they're mostly with defense. Um, but they're trying to get further and further into the consumer segment. So um, this is progress, which it, was surprising. It does seem like... This is the, the the immediate benefit is for businesses that they they can this can help some businesses in the industries you just touched on do their jobs better and uh, hopefully more efficiently disaster relief yep. uh, things like that yeah yeah I think just like we've talked before about figuring out new ways to get the product to the consumer faster I mean that's Amazon's mission has has really been to uh, expand its physical footprint in such a way where they're able to whittle down that distance from the product to the consumer, and this is going to be another way. I think that that they can certainly do that. I mean, I think that Amazon really was the one that probably created the most awareness of this upfront with that sixty-minute special uh, a few years ago. I think that um, probably before that, people would have thought, "Eh, that's just a pipe dream, or that's an invasion of privacy. There are too many things that can go wrong." Um, and, and sure, I think on its own, there are certainly are plenty of things that go wrong, and we're going to see people abuse these things in whatever capacity. But I think as long as, um, as as long as the as long as the federal government is able to get in there and take good sort of measured steps, don't try to overstep its bounds, but ultimately look at this as a solution for a number of different markets, then I think we're going to continue to see um, see it develop more and more and more. And I think we talked, I think it was last week about Uber and and Uber's. Um, lack of profitability to this point because of subsidies to drivers, and, and we were kind of talking about well, the quickest way for them to get to profitability, it's going to be self-driving cars, right? Just take the driver out of the mix. This has the potential to kind of do that same sort of thing on a smaller scale. I mean, like Amazon talks about five and ten pound uh, deliveries, and this could certainly be uh, a way to a way to to help sort of facilitate that and grow that. And and it would be think about how immensely profitable that could be. You're you're taking a huge cost out of there in the delivery, um, and uh, so my suspicion is that we'll continue to see small measured steps to help sort of uh, proliferate this. Not only the cost, but some unpredictability. Like around sure. holiday season, they've run into some snafus using FedEx and UPS, so they're starting to try and deliver things on their own. And this would clearly benefit. I wonder what the percentage of their products that they sell would fit into that. So and that's the thing. I think I saw where they said that the overwhelming majority of the items that are ordered weigh like five pounds yeah. or less, which I guess that makes sense. I mean, with the exception of a few big ticket items that we'll get on like a monthly basis, like the forty pound bag of dog food. I mean, most of the stuff that we get from them would actually qualify to be delivered via drone. So here's one wrinkle I learned about this morning talking with one of our producers, Austin Morgan. Because uh, he's a photography guy, and I said you must be excited about this, and he pointed out something that I had missed, which was that uh, there is protected airspace around airports, twenty mile radius around airports, except for one airport, 
And it's the airport closest to us, and that is uh, <laughs> Reagan, National. Reagan National, DCA, 50-mile radius. So if, wow, if Austin wants big. to go fly his drone, he's got to get in the car and drive for a while before he does that. Yeah, yeah. That that, that's also be... going to limit your ability to get because I'm guessing you live within 50 miles of DCA. Uh, yeah. Real estate value plummets. Yeah. <laughs> Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Uh, so if you listen to Motley Fool Answers, our weekly uh, podcast about sort of basic money issues, um, lately they've been talking about the postcards that they've been getting. Listeners have been sending them postcards, and they're they're uh, all taped up. Um, on a large pole just out, uh, on the other side of the glass. And it's, it's great to see all the listeners who have sent in postcards from around the world and across the country. Um, got this email this weekend from longtime listener Fred Gaddis. And the subject line is, who wants a crappy postcard when you can get an invitation to a world-famous beer festival? Uh, is that Fred Toberfest? He goes on to write, those are the words of the silent majority screaming out whenever Robert Brokamp keeps asking people if they want to see his poll. And then in parentheses, the one with all the postcards, get your mind out of the gutter. Hey, now. I am proud to again invite Chris Hill, Jason Moser, Charlie Travers, Taylor Muckerman, and the rest of the Motley Fool team to join us at the world-famous Fred Toberfest. Of course, I would pers- personally purchase a nice bottle of bourbon of choice for Chris to drink during the festival. Um, uh, uh, Either that, or we're just going to turn you into a beer drinker. Turn me into a beer drinker. Show you the merits. We'll find something you like. There. Thank you for continually <laughs> educating, amusing, and enriching me these past years, and keep up the great work. And he included the ah, the festival, which I hold up for the cameras, very uh, nice. the invite. And it is. It's the it's the 12th annual world-famous Fred Toberfest Beer Festival in St. Louis, Missouri, October 1st. Is that named after Fred Bird, the St. Louis Cardinals no, mascot? No, it's named after, it's named Fred, after Fred, the host of the yeah. party. Get <laughs> you your, can, you get can get your him on St. Twitter Louis is... Cardinals out of this. <laughs> um, here's what's really nice, though, and we'll mention this again as we get closer to Fred Toberfest, because I, I don't think we're going to be able to get there this well, year. Although, a live taping of Mark although, Let's although, not be hasty. Let's not I mean, be you're saying we, we, uh, we talked to Melissa Malinowski and say we need the keys to the, the Fool Mobile so we can road trip. Um, uh, in the invitation, he writes, um, uh, you know, for people who want, and this is, uh, he sent us photos in the past and all types of beer and ale and lager, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he writes in the invite for those generous folks who would like to bring things to a party um, like more beer and food, there is no need to. Instead, you can text the word HOPE to 50333 and donate $10 to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, uh, Research Hospital, uh, which is great. It's just great to uh, to take a, a fun party and, and turn it into an opportunity to raise a little money as well. So, thank you, Fred, as always, for the invite. What do we, Better text, than a what do we text HOPE to again? Uh, 50333. We'll mention this again as we get as we get. Uh, closing in on October 1st. That's not like the human fund, right? No, no. Uh, St. Jude's uh, Children's Research Hospital is legit. Okay. Unlike the Just human making fund. Sure. <laughs> All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 